Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, partner, and the founder and startups.com CEO. Did I already say your name, Will Schroeder? Did I forget that part? Please keep saying it. Will Schroeder, Will Schroeder, Will Schroeder. <laughs> hey, Will Schroeder. Uh, I, I'd like to ask Will Schroeder uh, a question today. And it's, you know, we, we talk to lots of founders. Like we, get to, we get to talk to lots of founders about all their different challenges, problems, wins, losses, everything. But frequently, when we enter to conversations with these founders, they will have already heard some things and, and gotten some advice often very local, very parochial, very kind of their immediate circle of people who often don't have a ton of experience. Well, Will Schroeder, how often, I'm gonna continue this for the entire Please episode, don't. everybody. <laughs> Will, how often is this good advice? I mean, I don't wanna say never, but never. <laughs> <laughs> you where that was going. All right, yeah, right fair, here. fair. Here's the setup. We're talking to a founder anywhere in the world. And let's say we're talking about a pitch deck or the fundraise, you know, something like that. And invariably, they say to me, hey, here's the deal. I was told that this is what should be in my pitch deck. I was told that this is what the valuation should, of a company should be, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it would be. And my first question every single time is, who told you that exactly? Right? And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, well, my attorney told, told me. Okay, right. cool. Has your attorney ever raised venture capital? Well, he worked on a thing 10 years ago with a thing, right? And I'm like, <sighs> here Look, we go again. Yeah, exactly. Here's the comparison. Um, I love my mechanic. He's really good with tools, but I wouldn't ask him to build my house, right? Like, we just <laughs> assume. I've got this bump over here on my, on my right scapula. Would you take a look at that? No. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, you know, what we'll talk about today is. Local advice, the advice you're typically getting either in your hometown or your immediate circle is often dead wrong. It's well-meaning. This, this isn't a case where you know, you've got a villain here where somebody's trying to mislead you, <laughs> no. right? They're not that well-informed. It's the opposite. They're, they want to be your teammate. The problem is they have their helmet on backward. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see the past. Yeah. I want to create some reverence here to the people who are genuinely trying to help. And also, they also don't know they're giving you bad advice. That's the worst part. All right, so before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. This is the thing. Yeah, I mean, like there's so, so frequently, you know, and it's, the, it's that old phrase, you know, the, the road to hell paved with good intentions. They are very well intended, right? They are absolutely trying to help and they don't know what they don't know. And they may know more than you do. And I think this is where it becomes really dangerous. We're on a relative scale, like, yeah, but I had never thought of any of the things that they told me. Sometimes my answer to that is because you didn't need to think about any of those things, dear child, right? <laughs> that was not useful stuff to think about. Yeah, I, I just like, I go back to conversations that I had in my own early days as, as a founder and, and, and how many people would do like the, the lean back finger tenting, have you considered, right? And then like, 
Well, on one hand, yeah, probably, because all I do is wake up thinking about this thing, right? I, I, I think about all of it. Yeah, so I have considered it. I think the, the problem is, should we be considering that? Is that in any way, shape, or form relevant to what we're doing? And how do we do a better job of qualifying people that we're getting advice from in the first place, right? We'll actually stick with that. So the problem we have as founders is we just don't have context for how to qualify people, right? So you know, let's say we're just getting started in our career, and that's kind of a, you know, a straw man argument, but let's just stick with that. We're just getting started in our career. Every single person we talk to is more experienced than us. So by way of that, it's all better knowledge than we currently have. <laughs> yeah. The problem is we don't know if it's the knowledge that we need. Correct. That's it right there. And so if I know anything about basic finance, let's say, just in life, then I'm more experienced than you are. But it doesn't make me Warren Buffett. Right? Like it's not quite the same thing. And we're in a business in the, in the startup business where half good advice is worse because it's misleading. It takes us down paths that waste time, and in many ways, actually takes us to the wrong place. We're given a map, <laughs> the destination is off in the desert somewhere. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it is. I mean, so that, that's a great that's a great analog, actually, because when when we do start to follow bad advice, right, it's like going the wrong direction when you have very little resource. In this case, let's just stick with the analog. It's the tank of gas, right? We've got a quarter of a tank of gas and we've got a hell of a long way to go before the next the next stop. If we go the wrong way, we run out of gas, right? So when we take bad advice, when we follow bad advice, when we spend time, money, energy, all of these resources that are in such a limited supply for founders, really bad things happen, right? And so we have to avoid this. We have to qualify uh, the advice as it comes in and, you know, get second opinions, right? Like, you get a second opinion on anything, right? So why are you not asking for second opinions on things that are going to drive the direction of your business for good or for bad? But Ryan, we don't know that we're supposed to, right? We assume that it's good advice. It's just like getting actual advice from a doctor, right? And the doctor says, here's the problem. Most people just assume like every doctor must be the same. They're all like equally qualified or, or have the, the same treatment plan. It couldn't be further from the truth, right? There's so many different ways to take a look at, at an indication. So in this case, it's just multiplied by so many things. It's everything from your fundraising to your pitch deck, to your marketing, to your corporate structure, how you incorporate, you know, everything. And everyone's got an opinion. What we'll do today is we'll talk about how to qualify everybody, right? We'll, we'll look at all the, the, the common folks that you're, you, you probably ran into. And I'd probably say it's worth, worth saying this. If you're listening to this and any of this is starting to resonate a little bit, take all the advice you have and just put it aside. It may be good, by the way. It may be good. But let's talk about what are the filters you can use and who are the, who are the common folks you're typically going to run into in your hometown that are going to lead you astray unwillingly. Sounds fantastic. Top of that stack, local investors. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, nobody, nobody owns the crown of giving bad advice than local investors. That's correct. I think it's because we assume that if you can write a check, that you're qualified to be an investor. Then I, that's where it all starts. You know what I mean? It it does, and and it's funny. Like I, I actually have a, a very a very uh, personal story about this one. Uh, talking to an investor, introduction through an uncle's friend of a friend, something along those lines, right? You the, the typical setup where it's like somebody I know knows a person who knows a person who knows a person and uh, talking to this individual. And 
they could write the check that I, I wanted them to write. Uh, and it was also coming with a whole lot of advice. And luckily, this wasn't my, my first rodeo. So I was already a little wise to the fact that not all uh, advice was created equal. Uh, and yeah, so to that end, like, you know, my partner at the time was like, you know, but these, you know, these guys you know, made a ton of money, like, we need to listen to what he's saying. I'm like, Okay, do you remember how he made his money? You ready for this one, Will? Coin op laundry, right? Nailed it. Nothing wrong with that business at all. And the guy made lots and lots of money. But what coin op laundry has to do with a scalable SaaS business (laughs) can be written on the edge of a dime with a fat marker, right? They're just, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing comparable there. I mean, like, yeah, there's some basic stuff, right? Like, okay, we can, let me, let me talk to you about how I set up my chart of accounts on a paper ledger. Sweet. Let's do that. Um, I can translate that to QuickBooks or something else. That'll be okay advice. But it was pretty limited, right? Uh, the problem was that the advice was coming in in the same quantities as, as, the, as the money or the, the potential investment. Didn't take the investment in the end and, and probably for, for the best because I don't know that we would have been able to totally avoid the advice or had we, it would have created all kinds of strain and stress. Uh, but it was pretty obvious, that, right? Like this person was well-intended and it sort of knew what he knew and was trying to apply that to what we were doing, but he didn't know anything about what we were trying to do. And that was where, that's where the disconnect begins. And boy, can that chasm widen over time. I think with investors and more so with the people that are talking to investors, when I explain to people the difference between a local investor and a competitive investor, number one, I've never met somebody who's ever understood or even had the definition brought up to them. Here it is. It's this simple. Competitive investors invest for a living. They invest on competitive terms. They invest in competitive markets and competitive industries. They can't mess around. What does that look like? If you, if you go to a competitive market, let's say like uh, San Francisco would be obviously the, the most competitive market. The folks that invest there are competing with lots of other investors for the best deals. They can't spend six months asking you asinine questions. They can't spend 30 minutes asking you asinine questions. If they don't get to the point, if they don't ask all the right questions immediately, and if they don't make a decision today, someone else will take that deal. That's a competitive investor. Also, they already know what the market terms are. They know what a valuation should be at a seed stage versus a venture stage. Rewind back to your local investors. Here's what a local investor, it's so different. It's their definition. Local investor looks like this. Local investors, some person in your hometown that made money doing something. Something, yep. And that is their sphere of influence. Yep. Which, by the way, could have been inheritance, could have been, you know, a retirement pension from, from a, a long-term job, could be a lot of things that lead them to happen. Because sometimes, you know, we're talking about relatively small checks. Sometimes we're talking about people getting a lot of advice from somebody who's about to stroke a $25,000 check, which when you need $25,000, it's all the money in the world. But when, you know, you're a, a 12, 50, $100 million business, no longer, right? Does that, you'll kind of measure that advice at that point and say like, hmm, a bit different. But you can get astronomically great advice for $25,000 or astronomically shitty advice for $25,000. That's the problem. In this case, the local investor, they don't know they're a local investor. Correct. They don't know what they don't know. It's like the person who never left high school football. As far <laughs> as they're concerned, they're NFL quality, right? Because yep. they've never played in the NFL. For these folks, again, well-intended, but 
they'll they'll say dumb shit. They'll they'll say, oh, I like fifty percent of the company for fifty thousand dollars, right? Like they're on Shark Tank or some yeah. dumb stuff like that. <laughs> That's not at all how investing works, right? But what'll happen is invariably, the local founders will talk to local investors. Why wouldn't you? They'll talk to two or three local investors, and here's how they'll get led astray. Number one. The local investor will take their personal opinion of how companies scale and say, this is what you should be doing. You shouldn't even be raising until, you, until you've got at least a million in revenue, right? Or again, I'll give you $50,000 for 50% of the company. The company is only valued based on multiples of earnings, right? Which just, by the way, is not at all how startup valuations work, right? in case you're curious about that. But again, they're not competitive investors. They actually don't know any better. But they're like, hey, I made money in my coin op laundry, right? And so that must make me qualified to write this check. Yes, it makes you qualified to write a check. Here's a good example. I actually invest in the stock market. I have for 30 years, right? Turns out I'm actually not Warren Buffett. Just because I can write checks does not make me a professional investor by any stretch. So if you're taking stock advice from me, you'll probably lose all your money, by the way. But if you're taking stock advice from me without any understanding how competitive investment works, you are screwed. And this is where it starts. Yeah. So I think in sticking with the theme here to to kind of go through the cast of characters that we're going to get bad advice with and then marry that up to how we're qualifying that advice, right? So I think the, the, the overarching theme for this part of it is money's not all been created equally, right? And so therefore we cannot really use that as the barometer for this is good advice or bad advice. You know, they have a lot of money or they can write the check, ergo, they are also qualified to tell me how to do things, right? That is not true. So this is where we have to be really careful. We want to consider where did the money come from? You know, what else are they doing with it? Is this something that they're, they're very, very used to doing and seeing, right? Are they professional investors? Are they competitive investors? Or are they just somebody who can write a check, right? And a little bit of diligence goes a long way on this front, right? Didn't take me long to find out this was a coin-op person and, and that that was going to limit their purview as to what building software looked like. Totally. So, so let's talk about how to qualify a local investor, because if, you're, if you've listened this far, that's your first questions on your mind. Like, oh, <laughs> right. should, should I have listened to that person? Here's some of the basics for how to qualify a local investor. Number one, simple as this. How many checks have you written in the past year? Not in your life, in the past year. A competitive investor is constantly writing checks, right? There was the one at the grocery store. There was the one at the... <laughs> yeah, 1962. You know, it's like... A competitive investor will probably have written two to five checks in the past year. A competitive investor likely has all of their investments recorded publicly in a place like crunchbase.com, right? They don't hide all all, all their investments. A competitive investor likely, more so in tech, by the way, likely is on Twitter. If your local investor hasn't written a check in three years, wrote one check three years ago, is struggling as to whether or not they're going to write you a $50,000 check and has never existed in a professional portfolio of investing in companies, you have a local investor. And their money's good. It's exactly worth the same amount. I wanted to touch on this, right? So yes, we're not saying don't work with local investors. We're not saying don't take money from local investors. We're saying be very careful what advice you end up taking from local investors, right? Without qualifying, right? If, if you have to send your PowerPoint over to uh, an AOL address, 
Another just minor red flag potentially. There. Chances are, yeah, if, if it's Hotmail, if it's AOL, <laughs> chances are you're about to get really shitty advice. Yeah. Now, in that case, though, uh, the question would then become, well, well, where do I get good advice? Like, okay, yeah, this actually is where I'm getting all this crappy advice. Where do I get good advice? You have to seek out competitive investors. Use some of the criteria we just talked to. By the way, they're probably not in your hometown. They're probably on Twitter. Reply them on Twitter. DM them on Twitter, right? Like these people will talk to you. It's not like you can't get good advice. It's just that you didn't occur to you that you're allowed to ask. You can ask us. You ask know, us. Uh, yeah. Therapy at startups.com. Ask us the same question that you would have otherwise asked your local investor. And here's the thing, Ryan. You and I are on office hours with uh, founders all day long, right? We just sit around and we just bullshit with founders. It's a cool part of our job. And every single time I go to give them a piece of advice about anything, I always have a stopgap where I say, Am I the most qualified person to give this advice? I'm 100% sure no one else uses that filter, right? Like it's as if I have an opinion, I must be qualified for it. Even if they don't, I've, I watched, I've literally sat in rooms with people who I know their background. And then I hear them say things that have nothing to do with that background. Why? Because they want to help. And I've watched people manufacture responses simply because they didn't want to say, I don't know not because of their own ego even right it was because they didn't want to leave that founder without something so they just assumed right, like they want help. i just got to fill dead air right they need an answer right they're going to be they're going to be dead in the water without it so i'm going to i'm going to toss them a lead balloon right not helpful right so this this is what ends up happening right i see this time and time again and i try to apply the same filter did this yesterday was was in an office hours talking to somebody and we got more into the a kind of a deep sales process thing. And I had to say like, look, I actually have somebody that would rather you talk to about this on the team uh, than me, right? Like I will get you through customer acquisition. We'll get all the way up through, you know, lead qualification generation. But now we're talking about like a really deep kind of philosophical sales question. Like I've got somebody better for you than this. Here's my opinion, but take it with two grains of salt and then call this chap, right? You have to do that, right? So if you are somebody that's listening right now who's out there giving advice to startup companies, do exactly what Will just suggested. Ask yourself, am I really qualified to give this advice? Am I giving this based on my own experience? Am I, am I giving it based on experience from things I've heard, which is better than just making it up, but still not great? Because if you haven't been through it yourself, chances are you lack the context to really understand how to apply it to somebody else's situation. And even then, Right. I find myself going, all right. So this is, you know, I've done something like this before, but here's where your situation's different. And so here's where you're going to have to take my advice, knowing that it's going to be 70% of what you need. That last 30% is going to be on you to contextualize this and figure out how it applies to your situation. Right. But that's incumbent on me to help them understand that this isn't definitive. Right. The person giving the advice has to be open and honest about that. And again, like in so many cases, they're just not able to. And so we as the founders then have to turn back around and say, look, look, it's incumbent on them to know this, but we know that most of them aren't going to know what they don't know. So we have to measure it. Yeah, it's like basic self-awareness. Yep. You know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day every day working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find. You know, head over to groups.startups.com 
And let's just start talking. So the other archetype, and I can identify with this personally, is what I call the hometown hero founder, right? Uh, it's, it's the, every town has one. There's somebody in your town that did really well, right? And they're the tallest midget. You know, according to all local lore, they were the one person that kind of broke out and did something amazing. And the reason I'm so familiar with this person is because it was me. I was the one idiot who like made a big company in the internet in the 90s in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was that guy. I was the hometown hero founder. And at the time, I genuinely believed that my purview of what I understood about startups and the world at large was very accurate. Right. Because good things happen to me, thereby I have all this knowledge, apparently. I have done it once. I can help everyone do it always. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. And then I had maybe one of the most both humiliating and like come to Jesus moments in my life. I ended up, because I had started this business, I ended up moving to Los Angeles. And while I was there, uh, I started to get introduced to a whole bunch of competitive investors who I'd never met before. And uh, I was actually starting another company that I was raising money for. And this incredible thing happened. I'm sitting across from these investors and they're making investment decisions in like 10 minutes. They're like, oh yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm totally in. I'm like, well, well, where do you go next? Like, no, I'll just wire your money. Right? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, that's not how investing works. Yeah. And it is. I just didn't know any better. <laughs> so uh, I went from like basically this hill jacket, Ohio, that had no idea how the world actually worked then I just didn't. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. I just didn't know. On a relative scale, you know, it it was true when you were still in your hometown, right? When you were still in Columbus, Ohio, that was still valid, right? You did know more than the, the people around you, right? Go somewhere else. Context changes. And then I started raising in San Francisco, and then I moved to San Francisco, and I started to see how like actual competitive deals worked. And I, I mean, needless to say, it served us very well with what we do at startups.com because we have a bigger context. So. This, we're not like in a know-it-all situation, but we have context. We know enough, you know, startups.com as a whole to know there are things we don't know. This is the nature of life. But also, we know when you're getting kind of shitty advice. The local founder, that hometown hero, the problem with their advice is they're so sure it's accurate. Yep. They want it to be. They want it to be for their own sake, for your sake. They don't know any better. Right? They don't know any better. They want it to be true so that you can go forth and succeed. What they don't know is that they're spinning you up, getting you dizzy and sending you off down the wrong path into a dark, dark forest, right? Not good. Right? And again, not intentional. It's the uh, high school quarterback getting you ready for the NFL, right? I, I, I'm sure you had that one big game and that was sweet, but this isn't the NFL. Right. Please, please go get me that news clipping one more time. I, I'd, like, I'd like to see you hoisted on the backs of the other 17-year-olds. Let, let me see that one. That'd be great. So back to qualifications on this one, right? And I think this almost ties into your coin-op uh, experience uh, with the investor. One is, when is the last time you did something in this industry? I haven't been in the professional services business for 20 years. Now, to be fair, it actually hasn't changed. So and that, <laughs> just that's kind of a one-off, yeah. right? But I, what do I know about it anymore, right? I know how it works. I know the mechanics, but it's been a long time. Again, that's unusual that that industry hasn't changed too much. The other is, have you been in my industry? Ryan, you, you and I deal with this all the time. We talk to people from every conceivable industry. You and I happen to have some personal experiences in a handful of industries, 
or by proxy, some people we've worked with or been close to exactly that we kind of get it, but we aren't experts in that industry. Correct. And so, yes, I understand a lot about startups, but you're a food and beverage startup. I have never put something in a can. I have no damn clue, right? How to run your food and beverage startup. I can give you generic advice about how to put together a pitch deck. I can give you generic advice about hiring, et cetera. But if it's going to be specific about how to scale this business, I'm the wrong person. And I help startups for a living. <laughs> it's, it's like my first rodeo. Now imagine how unqualified your local hometown hero is by comparison. For sure. And I, I want to I touch on something here really quickly. And I, I don't want to go on too much of a, a tangent here because I think we could. Um, but I think we also have to be careful what we expect from advice. Right. I, I think that the minute we enter into the conversation as a founder, thinking that somebody's going to give me the entire answer key for all the tests I'm about to take, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. Right. So to your point, we can give some generic advice. Does that mean that you should be seeking out somebody who can give you more and more and more specific advice? Maybe if that person exists, if they're accessible and all of that, but there's always going to be some degree of you, the founder, needing to mold this advice to your own use, understanding your own industry, your own business, because the reality is, in so many cases, we're dealing with founders who are building something that's just enough different than anything else that exists, that there isn't anybody who's ever done it who can give you advice on exactly how to do that, right? Even they, they can say like, okay, I know your industry really well, but this is a new product category. You're doing something a little bit different. And so we always have to be really careful about just taking advice and using it wholesale, regardless of the source. Even the most qualified person to give that advice isn't you, isn't in your business. Everybody's got some level of bias, right? Again, not with malintent, but they just don't know everything that they would need to know to be able to actually make the decision, actually take the actions, right? That is on you as the founder to take that advice and turn it into something that's actually valuable and useful. All right, I surrender the floor. Well, I, I give you an example. When I was initially getting advice, I took the first version I got as gospel. Basically, the first person I met was the most qualified doctor that, that could prescribe <laughs> yes. you know, uh, whatever I needed. And later on, I would learn that like, most of them are quacks without realizing it. So using the analogy, at the very least, every founder on every topic should be getting a second and third opinion because by default, they will be different. Stay on that. Stay on that for a second. This is one of the fundamental challenges with local advice. Sometimes if you just start to think locally and, and you're just looking at that local circle, you will find out very quickly from all of the other people who've been given the bad advice and don't necessarily know it yet that that's the person you should talk to, right? So this is the other thing that ends up happening is that you sort of get the same recommendation. It's like, I need somebody that knows social media. Oh, talk to Jessica. Jessica is the, you know, she knows more about social media than anybody locally, right? She might know 2% about social media. And it may also be true that she knows more than anybody else locally, right? So this becomes one of the problems that when we, I think this is one of the reasons people don't seek second opinion as often as they should because they can't find one, right? And they realize that they already are talking to the most qualified person in this local sphere. And therefore, they'll, they'll confirm their thought that this was gospel, right? So I think that's where it becomes really a problem. They get a confirmation that like, okay, well, you know, maybe I should talk to somebody else. And everybody points back to the same individual and says, this is who you should talk to. Great, 
right? So you got to get out of these local circles. You got to break out of the parochial nature of where you're seeking your advice to begin with, in addition to qualifying it. Okay. So I would say that the third and final culprit here, Ryan, um, which I see all the time is the super successful, but totally irrelevant advisor. So this isn't even the hometown hero. This is a, this is one step removed. And I would say probably my favorite use case here is your attorney. Because for, for so many startups, this is kind of their first pass. And just to be clear, the probability that you are talking to a startup attorney is like 0.0001%, right? It's again, sticking with the, 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 the doctor analogy, you're talking to a podiatrist, right? That looks at feet every day and you need to have eye surgery. Right? These are not the same people. Never ask my dad about eyes. Never. Not even yeah, eyes. yeah, exactly. Right. And so what ends up happening, I'll give you one of the most common examples. The most common examples, I talk to somebody and they say, I had this idea. I've been working with, with my attorney and they say, I need to get an NDA uh, put together, non-disclosure agreement so that no one can steal my idea. There's your first red flag right there. That tells, you, that tells you most of what you need to know, doesn't it? But how wouldn't I know that? My attorney said it. He understands law. So obviously that's what I need to do. Right. Here's the funny thing. No investor signs an NDA. It literally doesn't happen, right? Can't happen. You will look like an absolute fool if you take your NDA and put it in front of an investor. It'll be so clear you don't know what you're doing. Right. The NDA is literally a shield against productive conversations. That's what it is. You're like, what I would like to draft right now is a document that will all but ensure that I can't have meaningful dialogue with anybody that I would want to talk to. Could you draft that up for me, Bob? Absolutely. All right. I've got one ready. Boilerplate. Yeah, you're going to need a private placement memorandum. <laughs> yep. No, you're not. No, you're not. You need a freaking yeah. pitch deck. Like, yeah. That's just not how it works. Now, here's the problem. An attorney, I'll just pick out attorneys for a second. An attorney sees everything through the, the lens of a law, right? Which is, which is very often a very defensive practice, right? So if you're starting off, you're going to need an NDA to protect yourself. You're going to need a PPM, private placement memorandum, to protect yourself. You're going to need all of these things to protect yourself. What the attorney doesn't know is that's actually not how our business works. He's going to, to load you up with costs and a bunch of time and a bunch of fear that you actually don't need. And, and again, some of those documents will actually prevent you from doing the things you want to do, right? If you're running around town trying to, to foist an NDA on people before you'll tell them anything about your startup, you've now ensured that your startup is going to stay one of the best kept secrets in town, right? <laughs> counter to exactly what you're trying to do, right? So in addition, this is, this is exactly what we talked about right at the top of the episode. You're going to get advice that not only doesn't help you, but actually takes you down the wrong road and runs you out of gas in that desert, right? You cannot do these things, right? This can lead to the premature death of the business. And it's so fucking painful to watch these things happen. We see it in other contexts where we have that rich uncle, who made a ton of money in commercial real estate. And within the family, he's considered the absolute Yoda guru. But we're building a dating site or, or a mobile app, right? And his advice over how you need to manage cash flow <laughs> has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Again, since he's the only person we know, I went through this when I was first starting. The first few people I met with gray hair were the smartest, most important people I met. I specifically remember 
talking to some of my, my uh, coworkers at the time saying, we need to reel this guy in because his knowledge is so on point. <laughs> Years later, yep. the guy I'm thinking of is actually a great guy, but was worlds away from how he could actually help us. He, he would have done us so, so much damage, right? With the intent of doing good. And so I look at that and I say, wow, how many people is the average founder going to come in, in contact with that are going to assume that because their domain sounds like good advice, business, right? Yes. Which again, speaking <laughs> with that earlier analogy, the NFL, I know sports. I have the briefcase and the rollerblades. I know business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know sports. So I'm obviously good at every sport that's ever been invented. Or finance is another one where we get led astray. Right. We've got Aunt Jenny and she's a kick-ass accountant. She's really good at closing the books. <laughs> yeah. And she says, that, well, if you're going to raise money, investors are going to want to know about, again, your, your cash flow projections. And it's like, yeah, if you're starting a restaurant, right? Maybe. But that's, that's really not how most of this works anymore. All right. And again, she's not wrong. She's just applying it to the wrong person. Yes. And, and at the wrong time. Correct. And so from our standpoint, you know, from, from a founder standpoint, What's so tricky is we're like, well, shit, I don't know about any of this stuff. I don't know about finance. I don't know about fundraising. I don't know about marketing. How could I possibly know that the advice I'm getting is bad? What if all the advice I've been getting is bad? Right? Shit. Look no further than the uh, startup failure rates to assume that that might be true. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, also people have very shitty ideas. So what it comes down to is it's about stepping out of your circle and, and asking yourself, Who's the guru at this? Okay. Chances are people who are, who are gurus, um, they're on Twitter as an example. They're not the only place, right? But if, if you have a million followers on Twitter and you're doing growth marketing, I'm not saying you're absolutely correct. You know, your following doesn't quantify your capability, but it's better than I'm not on Twitter at all. And nobody's following me and nobody's ever had an opinion on what I have to say. Nobody's ever heard. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In this day and age, there is no excuse, you know, to not be able to go outside of your circle and find other opinions. The, the problem isn't, isn't whether I can find those people. It's that I don't even know to look. It doesn't even occur to me. You know what I mean? Well, it, I think it occurs to people to still like stomp around their local, their local, you know, grounds and, and talk to those people. I think that they feel like that proximity has something to do with this um, and that I should start there. The problem is that when you start there, you often finish there or you at least set the course of your business based on what you hear there. That is a problem, right? Because we, we can often just starting off in the wrong direction. Yeah, to your point, this is no longer an issue of, of access. Right, it used to be, it used to be like if you were in in you know any town, I don't care if it was big or small, you were going to be limited to whatever was there. If you were in a big town, probably got a better chance at good advice than if you were in a small town, but not necessarily. Right, could have just talked to the wrong people out of a bigger pool. At this point, you have an ability to go out and talk to people who have demonstrated capabilities in the sphere that you're looking for advice on. Right, you can see to your point, Twitter. LinkedIn, wherever you want to go, where people are having these conversations and other people are commenting back and agreeing and disagreeing or whatever, you can see the discourse, you can see the dialogue, you can talk to these people too. You don't have to live down the street from them, right? Locality should not be how you're determining this. I can somehow hear this, like some, some person out there listening to us right now, whose address is like 7220 Sand Hill Road. And they're like, I don't know what the hell these guys are talking about. Like I get nothing but great local advice around here. Like I just walk up and down and just, they, everybody seems to know everything about fundraising around here. 
Well, I'll, I'll give you a counterpoint. When I was living in, in San Francisco or in, in LA, in some cases, but let's say San Francisco, I also saw shitty advice. Oh, for sure. Because the problem with folks there is they are so myopic. Everything has to be a capital raise. Everything has to make it to venture. Everything has to be a big burn, big scale, big outcome. And I would watch people talk to founders who had no business going down this path and just using the entire single lens of everything has to be this. Again, it's the exact same problem. They're like, you need a huge engineering team. I'm like, dude, this, this is a valet parking business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like, look, engineers need jobs too. All right. Oh like, my God. I, I it was unbelievable how blindly myopic this advice was being dealt out because it worked so big in the cases where it was applicable that it must be universal. And nobody took the time. I, I've yet to hear at a pitch competition or anything else. I've yet to hear someone say this. You know, normally what I would say is this. But that actually doesn't apply here. Oh my God, you know, a little bit of self-awareness, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, I don't think I'm qualified to give your the best advice here, but here's who you should probably be looking for, right? I have never heard someone say that. I would love to. If someone says that ever, when I'm going to pitch competition or anything, I'm going to step up and I'm going to hug them publicly in a very awkward, <laughs> long hug kind of way, just to show them how much appreciation I have for their self-awareness. And thus ensuring that they will never be that self-aware again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. yeah. Be careful um, with that. We, we want these people to keep doing the good things, Will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Maybe I'll turn it down a little bit. Maybe it'll just be a high five from across that the That sounds better. <laughs> so, so here's what I'd say. Chances are you're building your business no matter what stage you're at, whether you just had the idea five seconds ago or you're, you're going to raise your Series B. It is incumbent on us as founders to be able to step back and find good advice. To get good advice, and Ryan, you touched on this, is to get lots of opinions. Our job isn't to blindly follow advice. Our job is to solicit advice from lots of places and synthesize it to make an actual good decision. And chances are where you're going to find that good advice isn't from your hometown. All right, so that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.